Awesome. Nice. Thanks, George. Hey, take a seat. Take a seat as you're sitting down. When you turn to your neighbor, tell them they're looking good today. How are we doing? Thank you. Oh, beautiful. Look at that. Exceptional lectern placement. Nice. Nice. Hey, as, as George said, uh, my name is Jono. It's a real uh, privilege to get to speak today. Uh, it was a little bit, we, I kind of realized we, we are due to have a baby. Our due date is in nine days, which is super, super close, right? So the whole week I was going, what if? What if the baby comes today? What if the baby comes tomorrow? What if I can't preach because I'm in hospital, but I'm here. So, so, uh, so that's good. Obviously, God wanted me to be here. God had a, an easy out, yeah? Uh, very cool. <laughs> very cool. But um, yeah, today I want to continue this, this idea of, of what if, right? Who was here last week with her Jordan's sermon? It was awesome, right? And, and George kind of started off uh, talking about this idea of, of what if, that we need to replace our whatever attitude with a what if attitude, right? We need to stop responding to things with, yeah, whatever. And we need to start responding to things with, with yeah, what if, you know, but I was thinking about it, and, and, and George kind of talked about the fact that we don't ask what if if we're content with where we are. We don't ask what if if we're happy with the status quo. We only ask what if if you have a dream, if you have something pulling you forward, right? What if comes directly off of our previous series of more. And as a church, we know that we're called to more. We know that this year we're believing for more. And, and what if this, this moment that we're in is intended to activate those dreams in our heart? That, that we would dream and, and more and we would realize that God has more for us. And then in what if we would realize that the dreams can happen today? That the changes that we want to see can happen today. And it was interesting, as, as George and I were planning this series, we started looking at the Bible of, of people in the Bible who asked what if. Right, and we started off, and we started looking through, and, and, and you know, in, in 1 Samuel chapter 14, Jonathan and the armor bearer, they, they ask, what if the, the, that God would be with us as we go up and the two of us fight just a whole Philistine garrison, and, and God delivered them, right? In, in Daniel chapter 3, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego asked, what if we don't bow down to the king and God is with us, and they came unburned, untouched, out of the furnace, right? In, in Esther chapter 5, Queen Esther said, what if I stay stand up for my people, and she delivered the Jewish people. And in Nehemiah chapter 1, Nehemiah said, what if I asked the king to rebuild my homeland, and, and the temple and the, and the walls were rebuilt? In fact, when George and I started looking through the Bible, we, we kind of quickly came to this realization that most of the stories in the Bible start with a what if. That most of the stories in the Bible of someone doing something for God, of someone changing society in a massive and important way, all started with someone saying, what if? See, because here's the thing, what if isn't a magical combination of words, right? It's an attitude, and it's an attitude of faith. So today, today I want to look at a story in the book of Mark of a lady who asked, what if? And from that story, I want to pull out two lessons about how we can be a people and as a result, a church who ask, what if? How we can be a people of faith. Is that all right? You guys ready? Yeah, let's read some Bible. Turn with me uh, to Mark chapter 5, verses 21 to 34. We're going to chuck it up on the big screen. I'm reading from the message translation. It says this, after Jesus crossed over by boat, a large crowd met him at the seaside. One of the meeting place leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell to his knees beside himself as he begged, my dear daughter is at death's door. Come and lay hands on her so that she will get well and live. 
Jesus went with him, and the whole crowd tagging along, pushing and jostling him. A woman who had suffered a condition of hemorrhaging for 12 years, a long succession of physicians had treated her and treated her badly, taking all of her money and leaving her worse off than before, had heard about Jesus. She slipped in from behind and and touched his robe. She was thinking to herself, if I can put a finger on his robe, I can get well. The moment she did, the the flow of blood dried up. She could feel the change and knew her plague was over and done with. At the same moment, Jesus felt energy discharging from him. He turned around to the crowd and asked, who touched my robe? His disciples said, what are you talking about with this whole crowd pushing and jostling you? You're asking, who touched me? Dozens have touched you. But he went on asking and looking around to see who had done it. The woman, knowing what had happened, knowing she was the one, stepped up in fear and trembling, knelt before him and gave him the whole story. Jesus said to her, daughter, you took a risk of faith and now you're healed and whole. Live well, live blessed, be healed of your plague. Can you bow your heads with me and let's pray? God, I thank you for this moment together as as family. God, I know that, that we are gathered as a people with, with dreams in our hearts. God, that, that we have a what if inside each and every one of us, that we have a, a dream for more, a dream for something different, a dream for, for something to change, a dream for our lives and, and the lives of our friends and family. And today, as, as we're gathered together and as, as we turn to the Bible, as we turn to your word and, and you invite us to look at this, this question, this faith statement of what if, God, I pray that you would catch something in our hearts, that the fire that's already starting to burn, the the embers that are smoldering would be fanned into a flame, God, that we would leave here different than when we came in, convinced that you are for us and that you are with us. God, I know that this room is full of bold people, and so before we even go any further, God, I just declare over this space a, a, a passion and a faith. God, that we would be a people who who are who we know we're called to be, that you have called us to be faithful and we would rise to that calling. In Jesus' name, amen. See, the story is all about one woman, right? One woman who approached Jesus with a big what if. And I think that this is important because I believe that, that the essence of being a Christian is, is not just watching God move. It's not just attending church, but it's asking what if? It's, it's trying something scary. It's stretching ourselves, not just knowing of God, but living with God. Not, not just having a, a head understanding of, of who He is and what He could do, but actually living out a relationship with God where we rely on Him, where we're defined by our faith. See, that this question, what if, it captures the essence of faith, right? Hebrews 11, which has kind of been our, our scriptural reference for both the series of more and the series of what if, starts by saying that faith is the substance of things hoped for, that it's the evidence of things not seen. See, when we're asking what if, we're, we're activating faith. What if is a faith question, and it's interesting I don't know if you've ever kind of read a story in the Bible and then kind of thought to yourself, I wonder why this story is in the Bible. I wonder why this story made it into the Bible. Of all of the things that Jesus did, you know, I think it's uh, Mark that says, if I wrote down all of the things that Jesus did, it would fill all of the pages of all of the books in the world, right? There was a, a plethora, there were so many things that could be recorded in the Bible. Why this story? 
And, you know, I think it's interesting because probably what happened, especially in this recording in Mark, is Mark is written by Peter, but Peter couldn't write very well, so he got his friend John Mark to, to write down his story. And Peter was there when this happened. The disciples were there. And, and what scholars think is that this story was used by Peter and the disciples as an example of faith. They would use it in a situation like this when they were standing up and sharing stories. They would say, do you want to know what faith looks like? Faith looks like this lady this one time when we were on our way from one place to another doing good things and she had the faith to step out and take a chance. Faith looks like this. See, this this story, and, and I'm encouraged by this, has been used for thousands of years as an example of what it looks like to engage faith in asking what if. This story is a manual of how to have faith and connect with Jesus, how to approach life with a what if. So today, as I said, I want to I look at two lessons that we can learn about how to be a people who ask what if. But before I do, I want to quickly speak as to why this is important. Is that all right? It's good? It's pretty brief, but, but I think you miss it unless you stand back and, and look. See, what's happening here? There's actually kind of a funny part in the story. Generally, it's a pretty kind of serious, you know, important lesson story. But there's a, there's a funny moment in here, right? The woman comes up and she touches Jesus. And at the same time, everybody is, is crowding around Jesus. In fact, we're told twice that they were crowding around him. Twice it says that the crowd was pushing and jostling Jesus, right? Jesus was in the middle of the crowd. Jesus was the Beatles at London Airport, Yeah? He's, everyone's there, everyone's excited to see him. And, and he turns around at one point and his disciples are all around him and they're essentially functioning as, as bodyguards and they're trying to kind of make a way for him through this crowd because he's not meaning to hang out there. He's trying to get to Jairus' house. And Jesus stops everyone and says, somebody touched me, right? And, and, and Mark retains kind of the disciples' rudeness and disdain and clear confusion when they say, what are you talking about? With this, with this crowd pushing and jostling you, you're asking who touched me. Dozens have touched me. In other words, Jesus is like, somebody touched me. And the disciples are like, yeah, everybody is touching you. There are people who, who, who are throwing themselves at your feet. There are people who are hugging you. There are people who are kissing you. They're, they're everywhere. Everyone's touching you. What do you mean that somebody touched you? Because here's the warning. Here's why we need lessons on, on how to teach us how to ask what if. Here's why I want my life to, to, to be reminded about how to engage faith is there were people all around him. They were, they were thronging him. They were pushing and jostling. But only one person in the crowd had a what if in her heart. Only one person had the faith to actually connect with Jesus. See, see, what this means is you can be around Jesus all of your life. You can, you can be crowding Him. You can be talking about Him. You can be admiring Him. You can be inspired by Him. You can go to church. You can study the Bible, and you cannot really touch Him. Right, and, and, and this challenges me because what was the difference between the woman and the rest of the crowd? The difference was faith. This, this woman thought that if she could just touch Jesus, if I could just put a finger on his robe, I can get well. And it wasn't her physical proximity. It was her faith. She came that day asking, what if? What if I can just touch Jesus and, and he heals me, which is awesome. Except it also means that there's the potential for you and I to be close to Jesus and not ask, what if? To touch Jesus and to not engage faith. So, so how do we... How do we ask 
what if. Two lessons we're taught, two things that we need to realize. I'm going to give you the points right up front so you can write them down. Point number one is we need to realize the need. And point number two is that we need to realize the dynamic. Can I unpack that for you? Is that all right? Point one, right? First thing we need to realize, the first lesson is we need to realize the need. Mark makes sure in, in the story contextually to, to tell us that the woman who had the issue of blood had been to every other doctor in the land, right? He makes sure in telling us of the story, not just to, to be detailed and make sure we understand the suffering of her condition, but also to make sure that we understand the suffering that she had, had experienced as the result of her attempted cures, Right? Can you just, it's important that we understand this. Can you turn to your neighbor, get your ear quotes out, right? We all know how to do ear quotes. You do the little bunny ears, yeah? Just turn to your neighbor and say, cures, right? Cures. You need to have a little bit more like you're not quite convinced. Turn to your neighbor, just dial up the sass a little bit and say, cures. Yeah? Like imagine someone tried to offer you one of those therapies where they say, I, I mixed this water with cinnamon once and now it will make your breath smell good. You're like, okay. See, we, we know about her condition. We know that she'd had a flow of blood for 12 years, that, that there was probably something wrong with her reproductive system, and as a result, she was constantly bleeding. But, but Mark also goes out of his way to say that that wasn't the only thing that she was suffering from. She was sick as a result of the cures, right, cures, of her suffering. She'd been going to doctors for a long time, and, and all of the things that were meant to, to help her, meant to cure her, had just made her worse. And not only was she sicker, but as a result of all of the doctors that she had visited, she'd lost all of her money. Think about this for a moment, right? She'd been sick. This had been going on for 12 years. If we think about that in, in today's current context, if, if this, this, this lady had this condition today in our current society, she could have potentially seen the following specialists, right? She could have gone to a, a gynecologist. She could have gone to a fertility specialist. She could have gone to an immunologist. She could have gone to an endocrinologist. And potentially, maybe, she could have gone to a nephrologist, which is a type of doctor I didn't know existed until I Googled types of specialists, right? And, and let's say she did that, and she went to each of these specialists for, for a year. She was in their care for a year, each specialist, and then they handed her on to the next one. That's a total of, if you do the maths, five years, right? And this woman has been sick, she's been ill, she's been suffering for 12. See, I think it would be fair to say that this woman has tried everything. If today, in today's day and age, with our advances in medical technology, she could have seen everyone she could have seen, and it would have only taken five years. And in that day and age, surely by 12 years' time, she's tried everything. She's gone down all the avenues. She's attempted everything. And when we meet her, she's given up. She's resigned herself to the fact that, that shy of a miracle, this is her life. This is who she is. And you know, it's interesting. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11, that God has placed eternity in the hearts of man. See, that inside of us, there's a knowledge that we are incomplete. That inside of us, there's a knowledge that we're empty without God. And so as a result, we so often go looking for cures. You're wondering where I was going, right? So often in our lives, we have an emptiness in us. 
We have a deficit in us. We have our own condition, just like the woman with the issue of blood. And just like the woman, we go looking everywhere to have that condition fixed. We go looking everywhere for a cure. And so we look to our, our, our career to cure the hole in our heart. We look to, to love to fill the emptiness in us. We look to our family or building a legacy, anything to fill the hole. And it, it doesn't quite work, right? And so often, as a result, what we do is we, we take our attempted cure, we take our career, and we come to Jesus. And we say, Jesus, I've got this hole in my heart. Jesus, I've got this, this emptiness in me. Jesus, I've got this, this deficit, this ache in my heart, knowing that, that there's something more. And I'm trying to meet it with my career, but it's not quite working. So Jesus, could you supercharge my career? Jesus, could you take my attempted cure and could you just make it a little bit bigger, a little bit better? My career is not quite enough yet, but Jesus, if you blessed me and gave me a promotion or a pay rise, I think then I'd be happy. Jesus, can you help me out here? Or we say, Jesus, you know, I'm, I'm looking and, and, and I feel like if I just met the right person, if I just had the right relationships in my life, then I'd feel complete. Jesus, can you just supercharge my love life? Can you just find the right person? Can I just stumble into them at church and then I'm sure I'm, I'm going to feel complete? See, this, this woman didn't touch Jesus to kind of tap him on the shoulder to get his attention, to ask him for a recommendation for another doctor. She didn't walk up to him and say, excuse me, just tug on his robe and say, look, I've been sick for 12 years. I've tried this, that, and the rest of it. I was wondering, you seem to be a wise man. Do you have any recommendations for a cure? See, it's one thing to come to Jesus because you're bleeding and suffering and you're hoping that he's going to give you help to get to a doctor. You're hoping that he's going to take the cure that you're trying to use and, and just give it a little bit of a bump, just supercharge it a little bit, just upgrade it. It's another thing entirely to say, wait a minute. I'm coming to Jesus not as a means to, to get to these things, but instead I'm coming to Jesus as an alternative. I'm not coming to Jesus asking him to give me another cure. I'm coming to Jesus realizing that everything I've tried hasn't worked and I need to try something different. See, then we're not only coming to Jesus because our doctors or our cures need some help. We're coming to Jesus saying, you're the cure. I, I'm willing to put all of the other things in my life in the right place. See, the, the woman was different to everyone else in the crowd. Everyone there wanted a miracle. That's why you went and you crowded Jesus. They weren't just like, hey, let's get his autograph. Maybe in 20 years it'll be worth something. They wanted a miracle. They wanted an encounter with God, but they were all coming there with their suffering saying, Jesus, I'm trying to meet my, my, my needs in my life with this thing. Can you pump it up a bit? Jesus, I'm trying to meet the, the hurt in my heart with this thing. Can you just upgrade it a little bit? See, only the woman, because she had suffered for so long, came saying, nothing of this is going to work. I need, I need you. I need you, Jesus. They came with their own solution that they thought they needed his help with. This woman had exhausted all other options and she came with nothing. See, the, the first step to living with a what if, to living with faith, is to recognize the need. We need Jesus, not another cure. We need Jesus, not a, not a supersize of the thing that we're trying to fill the hole in our heart with. And this can be hard, right? Because often our, our what if relates to something that we could be using as a cure. 
right? Often our, our what if speaks to something in our life that we could be trying to fill the hole in our heart with. But when we can lay it down, when it can become, God, what if you gave me more responsibility at work without being? God, if you don't give me more responsibility at work, I'll have no meaning. Then we're actually asking a what if, a what if of, of faith. See, that the hard thing is not allowing the promise to become a prison. And we have to have our own Mount Moriah moments when Abraham has been promised Isaac. Isaac is his what if moment. It's, it's his dream come into reality. And God asks him, take your son who you love dearly to this top of this mountain and sacrifice him to me. See, God never intended for Abraham to kill his son, but he had to make sure that his son had not become his God. Because if you place the weight of Godhood on anything but God, eventually you'll crush it. See, our what if needs to not be God. What if you supercharge this thing that I'm trying to fill my hole for you in my life with? What if you made my idol bigger? It needs to be God. What if you were my God? What if you were my God? And then what if this thing which is second in my life, you moved in? Not because it would change how I feel about me or my life. Not, not because it would make me feel complete because I'm already complete because I already know you. But God, what if you moved in this space because I want to see you change my world? Not for me, not so that I encounter meaning, but because I know my world needs to change. God, what if you changed everything? Not so I felt better about myself, but because this world needs your love. See, Otherwise, we're essentially asking, we're essentially praying a prayer, God, would you make my idol bigger? And why would God answer a prayer like that when indeed that's not a prayer, inadvertently we're cursing ourselves? See, God will answer a prayer of what if, but it needs to be a prayer that we're not setting ourselves up for a bigger idol, for a bigger false God. See, we need to realize the need. We don't need another cure. We need Jesus, so our what if isn't from a place of need, it's from a place of satisfaction. We still ask what if, but the result of the prayer doesn't change how we feel about our relationship with God and our meaning and our purpose. Is that all right? I know it's complex. We can talk about it after the service. Just write it down and think about it, right? I, I had my head reeling all week. See, the, the second lesson here, the second thing that's going on, I got my preacher's hanky, which is when you know it's getting, getting good, right? That's how you know, it's getting hot up here. Last time I spoke, I did not bring it, and I was very sweaty afterwards. The second lesson, the second thing that we need to realize is we need to realize the dynamic. George kind of alluded to this in, in, uh, in the kind of time of response at the start of the service, but what, what happens in, in culture, we live in a culture that consistently sends us the wrong message about this. Right? Basically, we, we live in a culture, and you can, you can see it in blog posts, you hear it on talk shows, you read it in books, but, but essentially, culture tells us that it doesn't matter what you believe, as long as you believe it with all of your might. Right? It doesn't matter what you believe, as long as it's true to you, as long as it's your truth, as long as you fully, wholeheartedly believe it, what you believe doesn't matter so much as, as how you believe. Right? We hear things like, like, believe your truth, that's Oprah. I don't want to start a beef with Oprah, but she does say that. I'm sure she listens. She, me and Oprah, we chat all the time. We're working through it. It's fine, right? But, but see, the thing is, is, is we hear things like that that imply that the degree to which it is true doesn't matter as long as it's really, really true to you. 
But, but the interesting thing here is that's not what happens in the story. Right, this, this lady has believed in multiple cures and she's believed in all of them with all of her strength to the point that they've taken everything that she has. She's believed with all of her might on multiple occasions. Those, those truths were abundantly true to her, but they hadn't worked. See, and then along comes Jesus. And this woman, theologically, she has terrible faith. Right? Theologically, she says, if I just touch his cloak, she has this quasi-magical understanding. She approaches Jesus more with superstition than with anything else. This isn't her truth. She doesn't wholeheartedly believe it. It's just a hope and a chance of, I've tried everything else. Maybe this man can help me. People say that he knows God. People say that he's connected to God. Maybe what if I touch him and he changes everything? She has no idea who Jesus is. She's not Peter. She's had no divine revelation that this is the Son of God, that this is God incarnate. She thinks that he's just a rabbi or some sort of Jewish magician. She doesn't know who, she, who he is, but she touches him and she's healed. And, and then Jesus asks her, asks who it was that, that, that touched him and, and asks her to tell him her story. But he doesn't say, all right, now that that you know who I am, now that you've met me, now that you've seen me face to face, now will you have faith? He says, I healed you because of your faith. what, What does that mean? Because her faith, theologically speaking, was poor. It was more superstition than a realization of who Jesus was. What this means is it's not the strength of your faith that saves you, but the object of your faith. It's it's not the dimension of your faith. It's the direction of your faith. See, what Jesus is saying here is it doesn't matter how much you believe it. As long as you believe in in the right thing, it doesn't matter how much you believe it, how true it is to you, how much you pursue it, as long as you believe in the right thing. It's the exact opposite, the total opposite of it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you believe it with all your might. See, Rick Warren puts it this this way. He says, it's not the size of your faith, but the size of your God that matters. See, it's, it's a concept that runs against everything we pick up in popular culture. Tim Keller uses this example. Can I tell you a story? Yeah, lean in, get ready for a story. I'll put on my uh, storytelling voice. <clears throat> One day, I won't tell it the whole thing like that. That would be distracting. One day, Three men were, were out for a walk on a beautiful winter's day in a forest. Just imagine it, right? It's, it's the, the heart of winter, and, and the forest is, is heavily blanketed in snow. So much so that, that the men, as they're walking and, and talking through the forest, they don't realize that they've stumbled into the territory of a bear. And they don't realize that they're in the territory of a bear until just a few meters away from them, a bear rises from under the cover of the snow and roars at them. And they realize that this could very well be the day they die. So as any sensible people would do in the middle of the forest presented with a bear, I don't know what type of bear it is, so I don't know if you should lie down or climb a tree. So they run. Right, And they run and the bear gives chase and they're running through the forest and the bear is close behind them and they run and the bear is close behind them until they come to a cliff, a ledge, which has a pond below it, frozen over. The the jump from the pond to the cliff is two to three meters. They know that they could make it and, and land and keep on running if the ice is thick enough. They know that the bear would most likely stop at the cliff and and finish giving chase, that bears don't generally jump off of cliffs. It's a well-known fact for the purpose of the story. 
And, and so the men are at the edge of this cliff, the three of them, and they're looking over the cliff as the bear quickly approaches, thinking to themselves, if we jump and the ice holds, we'll be saved. But if we jump and the ice breaks, we will surely drown. And, and the first man is on the ledge and he says to himself, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. I'm going to fall right through the ice and I'm going to drown. But he jumps and he hits the ice and rolls and the ice doesn't crack and he's safe. The second man is standing on the edge of the cliff and he says, I've got a 50-50 chance. I might drown or this might work, but he too jumps and he hits the ice and it doesn't crack and he's fine, he's safe. And the third man is on the ledge and he, he looks over and he thinks to himself, this will probably work. It's been cold for a pretty long time. The ice should hold, I'm sure I'll be fine. And he jumps and he hits the ice and it doesn't crack and he too is safe. The moral of the story is, which man was more saved? Which man of the three men that jumped was more saved? Was it the one with the most faith that the ice would hold, that he'd be okay? Was he the most saved? Was the man who didn't believe that the ice would hold him, but yet it still did? Was he saved? No, they were all safe. They were all safe because it had nothing to do with the amount of faith. The guy who said, I'm going to die, I'm going to die, but he jumped anyway, was just as sure, just as safe as the man who was sure that it was safe. Why? Because they all jumped. See, see here's the thing. Why was the woman healed? Because she came to Jesus. She had a mystic, odd, superstitious reason for doing so, but it wasn't the quality or the amount of her faith that healed her. It was who she had faith in. See, how much faith do you have to have for the ice to save you? Just enough to jump. How much faith do you have to have in Jesus? Just enough to come and to touch his robe. Just enough to accept his sacrifice on your behalf. Just enough to act. See, this is a comfort and this is a challenge. The comfort is that we don't need a perfect faith. Our faith can have doubts and fears, and it can still be used by God. We'll put it up on the screen. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 to 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and not that of yourself. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. It says that you're saved through faith, you see? But so often we read that as, I'm saved through my faith. So my faith needs to be good, or else I won't be saved because I'm saved through faith. But, but that's a, a misunderstanding of what's going on here. It says not that of yourselves. It's not your faith. It's your faith in the one who is faithful. Your faith in Jesus is not dependent on the quality of your faith. The men that jumped were saved through the fact that they were willing to jump. It wasn't because of their faith. Their faith just connected to the ice. See, they wouldn't have been saved if they didn't jump. They wouldn't have been saved if their faith was to the point that they did not have enough faith. If the man's doubts had interfered too much that he'd said, surely if I jump, I'll drown, I'll stay here. He would have been eaten by the bear. He would not have been saved. But if you jump, even if you're worried, even if you're full of doubts, even if you're unsure, if you jump, if you connect to the ice, if you connect to Jesus, if you reach out and touch the robe, even if you're not sure how the whole thing works, you connect See, see, faith is, is it's about enough to act. It, when, when one had a very tiny bit of faith and one had a whole lot, it didn't make a difference. It's the object of your faith. See, what, 
What Jesus is saying is it doesn't matter that you believe it with all your heart. He's saying all that matters is that you believe in me. All that matters is that you come to me. See, this is a comfort because it's not our works. Jesus does it all. We just have to decide to trust him. But it's also a challenge because we can view faith as something that we are building up a deposit of. And when, when I have enough faith, when I feel sure, when I have enough faith, then I'll ask what if. But I need to come along to church a little bit and hear some more kind of stirring sermons and be inspired a little bit more to build my faith, and then I'll ask what if. Then I'll step out and try something with God. Then I'll dare to dream. But until then, I'm just going to wait and let my faith build up. I'm just going to wait until I feel sure. Then I'll step out. Then I'll touch Jesus. Then I'll jump. See, what this reveals to us is that like what Rick Warren says, it's not the size of your faith but the size of your God that matters. And God doesn't change size. God is always able. God is always big enough. God is always ready and there. And so the time to ask what if is always now. The time to ask what if is, is always now. It's not something to defer until the dimension of your faith increases, the size of your faith increases because it's only about having enough faith to act. And when do you know if you've got enough faith to act? The moment after you do. The moment after you step out and trust God, you can, it can be all academic up until then. You can say, oh, surely I've got a lot of faith. When I come to church, I, I feel super connected to God. I, I love discussing theological things. But if your faith doesn't touch ground, if your faith isn't applied, if your faith doesn't express itself in the question of what if, then we push ourselves out there and engage in faith. Or, or will we wander and pontificate thinking maybe, you know, we can ask what if in a bad way, not as a, not as a question that drives us towards action, but as just a, maybe one day, oh, what if someone told my workmates that Jesus loved them? That'd be great. I'm not going to do it because that's scary. But what if? What if always needs to be about us? What if I asked my workmates if they'd like to come to church? What if I asked that lady who is sick at work if I could pray with her? What if I stepped out of my comfort zone and, and did something? See, as I mentioned at the start, and I'll get the band up, what if isn't just two magical words? What if is an attitude of faith? What if is a que isn't so much a, a question said as it's a question in motion? Because faith without works is dead. It says, and we'll put it up on the screen in the, the message translation of that famous scripture in James chapter 2. James says this, or I'll just read it to you. James says in, in uh, chapter 2, chapter 2 of James, verses 14 to 17, message translation, dear friends, do you think you'll get anywhere in this if you learn all the right words but never do anything? Does merely talking about faith indicate that a person really has it? For instance, you come upon an old friend dressed in rags and half-staffed and say, good morning, friend, be clothed in Christ, be filled with the Holy Spirit, and you walk off without providing so much as a coat or a cup of soup. Where does that get you? And this is the bit I want us to remember. Isn't it obvious that God talk without God acts is outrageous? nonsense. 
as we ask what if, we need to realize that we're not asking Jesus to supercharge a faulty cure. We're not asking for another recommendation for another doctor who's gonna hurt us and leave us broken. We're asking from a relationship with Jesus. We're asking from a point of of surety, from a point of satisfaction, God, I know that you meet every need in my heart, but what if my world was changed? What if you blessed me in a way that I could bless others? What if I could step out and make a difference knowing that you love me, not finding my meaning in it, but operating from my meaning in you, God, asking, what if? And, And we're not saving up enough to ask. We're not waiting to dream because it's not how much you believe, saving up faith until you feel that you can. It's simply, do you believe enough to act? If you believe enough to act, that's enough. See, so what what will you do? What's your what if? Where will you step out asking it not with words, but with actions? See, for a long time, I've had this dream, this this picture of the type of person that I want to be. And, and, and it's, it's based in a description used in, in 1 Chronicles chapter 12, verse 8 of, of David's mighty men, right? David's mighty men are basically his SWAT team, his, his special forces unit. There's men who move with him. David was on the run for a long time before he became king. And these were the men who ran with him, who fought with him. They were, they were his men. And they fought through the turmoil and the, and the uncertainty, and ultimately they helped to bring peace and healing to Israel. And it, it says this when it describes them. It says that their faces were like the faces of lions, and they were as swift as gazelles upon the mountains. See, I want to be someone who is bold and agile. Someone who is brave enough, who has the face of a lion, when confronted with a big dream, with a big ask, with a big opportunity, that I don't shy away, but that I have the face of a lion and I'm bold. But I also want to be someone who's agile, who can move quickly to the next thing that God's doing, that God can say, we're we're moving here in the young adults of the city now, and I can move and say, God, if that's where you are, that's where I want to be. I want to be a part of what you're doing, not, not a person who says, oh, well, God, I need to seek you a little bit to understand if you truly love young adults. I'm not sure. Sometimes they're annoying. I didn't really like me when I was a young adult, therefore I'm not sure if I want to meet with other young adults and pancakes have got too much gluten in them and give me a sore tummy. But someone who's bold and agile, who says, God, if that's where you're moving, I want to be there. I want to, I want to be a part of that. I want to be someone who God can trust with big dreams, with, with big what-ifs, because I'll be bold enough to not hide away from the tension of a big dream, but that I'll also be swift and agile enough to not hesitate, but to jump into what God is doing boldly and quickly. See, I believe that, that as a church, we're called to be bold and agile to be a church that that we need to be an agile church, looking for what God is doing and jumping into it, not slow to move, not slow to be convinced, but on board with what God is doing. See, if we pray a prayer of more, we need to be on the lookout to engage with the more, to be bold enough to say, God, if this is what you're gonna do, it's not what I imagined. When I prayed for more, I was kind of thinking that that somehow there'd be like a, 
a, a parade going by and, and then there'd be like a water main that broke and so the parade would have to stop outside the building and no one would be able to move down the road anymore and everyone would have to come in here and then they'd hear the gospel and the whole city would be saved. God, that's kind of what I was thinking. I'm not, if that's the miracle God wants to do, fantastic. But there should always be option B, not option A. We shouldn't be relying on supernatural uh, acts of, of water main maintenance to bring people to Christ. It should be in us. God, what if I did what I know you're calling me to do? What if I stepped out and did something scary? See, just as I finish, let's, let's not be near Jesus. Let's not be a church that gathers together every week and draws close to Jesus, touching Him with no change in our hearts, no change in our lives. Let's not come to Jesus asking for another cure, asking for Him to supersize an idol, not delaying until we have enough faith or it feels right or it's our truth. So this morning, what will you do? Where will God, where will your God talk become God action? See, maybe this morning your what if is, is what if Jesus loves me? What if Jesus is the answer? What if Jesus is the solution? What if I need to put down my cures that aren't working and accept Him as everything? See, George already led us in a salvation prayer. But the thing is, is that asking what if, having God as our primary function, it's not a given when we're saved. You can believe in God, He can be your salvation, and you can still trust in something else. So this morning, just as you bow your heads, as you close your eyes, I want you to reflect on your life. Reflect on your week. What were the things that brought you joy? What were the things that got you down? It's all right to experience life. It's all right to feel emotion. But is who you are, is how you feel about yourself, is your identity tied up too much in something other than Jesus? Can you pray a what-if prayer asking God, what if you moved in this way, but at the same time, God, if you're not moving there, I know you're moving somewhere else. And how I feel about the world and myself won't be turned upside down if this prayer is an answer. See, are you coming to Jesus this morning asking Him to supersize a cure, asking Him to make your idol bigger, or are you coming to Jesus this morning saying, God, you're my first and foremost. All those other things are important, but they can't handle the weight of Godhood. So God, I need you first, and then I can pray a what-if prayer properly. I'm not asking you to make an idol bigger than it should be when I shouldn't have idols in the first place. So come on, just as every head's bowed and, and eyes closed, if you know that that's you, no one's going to see you. I know that, that so often that's me and, and I have to constantly come back to the altar, come back to Jesus and, and realign myself with His truth. If you know that that's you and, and something else has taken a place of significance in your life reserved only for God, I just want you to raise your hand in a minute to let me know you want to pray this prayer with me. And the raising of your hand is important because it's a physical action that you're taking where you're reminding yourself, you're asking your heart to come into line and saying, God, you're my center, not anything else. So come on, if that's, if that's you here this morning, if you know that something else has taken a position in your heart that only God can be in, just raise your hand up nice and high with me right now, more to you than to anyone else. Awesome. Just a few.
going to give it a few more minutes if you want to respond, if you know that this is you, if you know you need to realign, just raise your hand up nice and high. Not for someone else, but for you. To remind yourself that when you leave this place, God is at the center of your life. Everything else comes second. God, I pray for us in this room as we have our hands raised. God, our, our hearts have such a natural inclination to go towards something else to make something other than you, God. And we put our lives out of balance when we do so. God, this morning as we're here as a people acknowledging our need of you, help us to realign our hearts with who you are. That when we ask what if, we're not praying what if based on how we feel. We're not praying what if with our emotions and self-worth attached to that prayer, but we're praying from a place of security and satisfaction, trusting you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, the, the, the band's gonna, gonna lead us in a song in just a minute. But the second application of the sermon is that it's time for action. There can only be so much preaching of, of we should do this and God wants to do this and let's dream for more before the church rises up and says, if we're dreaming for more, let's act for more. If we're dreaming for more, then let's do something scary. Let's place ourselves out on the edge and let's trust God. Let's ask what if, not just with our words, but with our actions. Let's not just speak God talk, but let's act out in God actions. So what I want to invite you to do is as the band leads us, I want you to stay sitting. And as you're sitting, I want you to engage with the song, but also reach out to God until you've got an action. Until you know that there's something, and it can be small, it can be little, it can be just this week, I want to ask God, what if every day? It can just be, God, this week I want to trust you a little bit more. It can be, this week I want to start that journey towards a conversation that invites my workmate to, to church, or invites my family member, or my friend, or that I pray to someone, or, or, or that I engage faith in some way. But, but as a church... It would be the greatest travesty if we would meet together on a Sunday and talk about what we were going to do and then go out Monday to Saturday and do nothing. So let's engage faith and let's set ourselves up for a win in the week saying, God, I'm believing that this is my action. This is what I'll do. This is where I'll step out. This is how the world will change. So come on, as the band leads us, let's reach out. Let's ask Him for an action. And then we'll go from there.